0: this is the ct startup podcast an inside perspective on the startup ecosystem in the great state of connecticut let's jump into it boys the nutmeg state. The
1: nutmeg yeah, state. Yeah, the nutmeg state. Which is, which is fascinating because that's not actually, it's the constitution state. But everybody calls it the nutmeg state. Yeah.
0: What's the history there?
1: I, I actually looked it up once. and and You're it's such a nerd. I'm I mean, a <laughs> huge nerd. And, and thus the podcast. Uh, no, I, I, I did look it up once. And it turns out that we did, uh, Connecticut had a lot of nutmeg exports. And it became known as the nutmeg state. So, that actually leads into uh, the first thing I want to talk about today. So, give me a moment to read to you a press release from the Connecticut uh, State Treasurer's Office. So, on uh, May 15th, they had a press release where they announced they were going to release $145 million into new venture capital uh, investments for the state of Connecticut. Now, specifically, what they're trying to do is generate returns for the state's pension plan. Um, and they want to do it through private investment and job creation in Connecticut. Very admirable goal. And what they're doing is using three outside venture funds to manage this in, in the following way. First, they're going to have a fund called Connecticut Growth Capital, which is set up to $75 million. That's going to be managed by Balance Point Capital Partners in Westport, Connecticut, and that's going to provide loans to middle market companies in Connecticut. All right. Then there's going to be up to 50 million in a fund called the Nutmeg Opportunities Fund, that's the opening, and that's going to be for direct in-state investments, and it's going to be managed by J.P. Morgan Private Equity Corp. or Private Equity Group. And then finally, there's going to be the Constitution Fund Five, and that's going to have a proposed commitment up to 20 million for VC investments in early-stage, high-potential companies in Connecticut, and it's going to be managed by Fairview Capital Partners out of West Hartford. So I think this is fascinating. So what's really fascinating to me is actually the sort of the state politics of it, right? Because here we have the treasurer's office releasing 145 million to generate money for the pension funds in what they call low-risk strategies. But let's be honest, it's venture capital investing. Um, And then you have Connecticut Innovations, which is not managing any of this money, but is a state public partnership that is making direct capital, uh, venture capital investments. So the treasurer's office didn't want, clearly didn't want Connecticut Innovations touching or, or distributing any of this cash. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but I I, I think that's very interesting, just from an outside perspective.
2: I mean, it's always cool to hear these press releases where it's 150 million here, 150 million there, but it's like. One, who's going to really see that money when is it going to be available when is it actually going to get into the hands of the people cuz i mean you handing out that kind of money there is a bureau- bureaucratic kind of process that even within those vc firms right how do you get access to those vc firms um so so it's i always like to hear it but it's it's one of those things where i mean when is it going to be in the hands of the people that can actually you know use it and and make it make make a big impact in their business
3: well, I think I think it's terrific news. It's it's a, a big chunk of money. I think I, would, I was reading that Connecticut Innovations has invested $60 million uh, over the past four years, uh, which has a multiplier effect because that led to an additional $135 million that came in through partner venture capital and private equity funds. So you can imagine uh, if you've got $145 million to anchor all these different types of loans, private equity investments, and uh, venture capital investments, it has a multiplier effect because you have partner investors that come in as well. And I think it's it's much needed, um, you know. Connecticut's a a very wealthy state. There's a lot of capital, uh, but that hasn't always translated into investment. Uh, so here's here's hoping that this helps spur that along.
1: That's actually been one of the biggest problems in the state. Is we have all this capital, and it's very difficult for entrepreneurs here to find money, and so they tend to go to New York or Boston. And we've talked about that before. We lose a lot of companies that way. Uh, certainly one of the things that we hope to change over time. I do think that this news is fantastic. I do have some. I I find it interesting that again the states designated venture fund isn't participating in this and I know they're looking for a new head director and I really hope they find someone who's well qualified and they do it soon and and then the other part to me is that I've heard of balance point partners and being you know anywhere north of New Haven you may have heard of uh, Fairview Capital Partners based West Hartford I find it interesting that 50 million is going to a JP Morgan fund um, which frankly I've never run across in Connecticut as making Significant, you know, a VC type investment. Um, now, that's not to say they haven't. There, are, there are lots of deals go on that that you know we may not see or hear about. But it's just interesting to have a New
2: York firm also that's managing the managing the money. So they are technically out of New York. <clears throat> yeah. So it is. Out of, I mean, yeah, that kind of seems yeah. counterintuitive. <laughs> well, <laughs> I right? think I
3: think it, it, I think <laughs> it introduces a, a, an element of competition in the market. I mean, okay. before where you, know, you you have a very large player in the states, CI uh they they have you know a, a bit of a a bit of a advantage in that you know they they can kind of pick and choose their investments uh now if you've got a really great idea uh a company that's generating a, a lot of revenue and it's clear that uh, an infusion in capital is going to lead to good returns uh you've got more than one big player
1: well that's absolutely
0: right i mean from an entrepreneurial point of view it it's great to see some money coming into the state um you know, I think it just offers more opportunity to try to get some funds. Uh, and I think that's what the entrepreneurs have been lacking and what they need and what they're, you know, what they're what they're really bitching about. Uh, so, you know, hopefully this will alleviate some of those issues that are currently at hand.
1: Well, I got to admit, my real hope for this is that if we have – if CI is investing and then we have each of these different funds that are investing in Connecticut, that it will lead private venture capital firms to – to co-invest, mm-hmm. that they'll see that there's more money in here and that it will lead them to join and partner in with some of these funds. And CIA has had so, some great VC partners work with them in the past. I'm hoping the treasurer's office uh, working through these funds is able to do the same thing. Uh, I mean, in the long run, what's going to support this, in my mind, is going to be private private venture capital, private investors. Um, you know, if, if the state is hopefully kickstarting something that will eventually lead to more money and more people looking into the Connecticut community to see where the good investments are
3: and the best part is is that instead of being just a general bond obligation to the state like c i funding this is playing with uh, retirement
2: funds, so it's all and well all I gotta say is that from a twenty six year or twenty seven year old perspective right now is that uh i'm not no, there's no retirement fund other than the money that I'm gonna be putting away so uh <laughs> it's a, is it Social Security or, or what? What are you? No, saying this
3: is... is uh state employees. Any 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 <laughs> oh. state employees who who are paying to uh the state retirement fund. Okay,
1: so I'm sure they're thrilled. So in other news, I recently received in the mail. Very happy, my Amazon Echo. So if you haven't heard of an Amazon Echo, it is a cylinder like object, probably probably about a foot tall and maybe four inches wide. Uh, you know, uh, and wh- what it is, it's a big Bluetooth speaker and it has a digital assistant in it, like a Siri, right? And it's called Alexa. So the Echo is the product, Alexa is the digital assistant. And so it's different in that it's sort of like the the beginning of what we think that homes are going to be in the future, you plug it in, so it's not portable. I mean, it's portable, you can pick it up and move and plug in somewhere else, but the idea is you plug it in, you leave it somewhere, it has some very good mic pickups on it. It's actually got a very cool LED ring around the top that knows where you're speaking from and it lights up in your direction. And so to turn it on, you say Alexa, and then you give it a command or you ask it something, you know. So every morning I go downstairs, I'm, I'm you know, I'm like, Alexa, give me the flash news. And it's set so that it gives me a news report from NPR or BBC America or something like that. And, and it, you know, it starts right away. And, you know, if, you have a, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you – get a bunch of other stuff with it. You, know, you can use Amazon Prime Music and so on. And you know, if you're smart, you would use TuneIn and you'd say, Alexa, give, you know, play CT Startup Podcast. And it would come right up and you'd be the happiest person in the world. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so... This is
3: perfect because if you ask Alexa to open the garage bay doors, it can tell you, I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. <laughs> that, that, that that's right. <laughs> well, the, well, the cool
1: thing for me is this is like what you know, like if I was watching The Jetsons growing up, this is what I think the future is going to be: is that people are going to be able to walk into their home and talk to their home. Mm-hmm. And and the home is going to be not self-aware AI, but it's going to be it's going to be able to provide me information about my thermostat and lights on and the home automation. And we've been slowly getting there. But Alexa is like that first step in the process that's set for the home. And and it does have integration with certain home automation uh, products. So I'm hoping they're going to do the Nest soon because I own a Nest thermostat and and I love that thing. But it'd be nice to be you know, Alexa set temperature to seventy degrees and. Have it go off right away. That'd just be fantastic. Does Google have one?
2: Because yes, is a Google company.
1: Yeah, Google has an assistant, but it's for the phone. It's not for. It's not. It's not this product. I mean, the the downside to this product, or plus side, depending on who you are. I mean, if you're an Amazon Prime member, I know I order a ton of stuff through Amazon Prime. It's just
0: all the equipment you're we're recording on. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I
1: I really need an Amazon Prime credit card or something to get points because. It's ridiculous. I know walking around my office, I see boxes with Amazon Prime labels in other people's offices. People have stuff shipped to work or to home now. They, you know, It's amazing any box store still exists in some respects. The good thing about having the assistant based offsite, it's on Amazon servers, so you have to have a constant internet connection. The good thing about that is they're constantly improving it, right? Now, it, I, I asked it about the Red Sox game the other day. And it said, you know, the Red Sox aren't currently playing. But last night played and they won three to five in nine innings or something. And today they're supposed to play at 7 p.m. against Blank. So it was really kind of intuitive, but they didn't have that when they first released the product.
0: You know, the the smart home is totally (laughs) something that's on the radar. I know Apple has kind of like a smart home kit, basically. uh, Developers kit. Uh, You know, Nest is obviously a big part of that smart home.
1: The the LED wireless lighting now. Oh, yeah. I've often looked at the Philips Hue lights, except that they want Seventy bucks a yeah, light bulb. Yeah, those things
0: are expensive. Uh, but it's it's the it's the Internet of Things. It's you know my jawbone oh, yeah. can connect yeah. to my yeah. Nest, and when I get home, it will automatically recognize that and you know turn the temperature and where it should yeah. be. So you know it's it's really amazing how quick, uh, this whole smart home is starting to ramp up. I think it's gonna be amazing what happens in the next you know twelve months.
1: Well, what's interesting about this too is, of course, it's a sales point. What Amazon wants to do is control your life and be the well, center yeah. <laughs> point for everything. And so, they just recently released a new feature for it that you, all you need to do is say Alexa, and then you can order a product, right? And it'll go through your past orders and see if there was something similar. And if not, it will suggest something. So I can say, Alexa, order paper towels, which is interesting. They, they just came out with the Amazon Click button, so yeah. you can put on a wall and push it, and it reorders that product. Now you don't even need that. You can just be walking through your house and say, Alexa, order 60-watt light bulbs. And it will go find something and order it with your credit card, which is just kind of horrific, but at <laughs> the same time, cool.
0: <laughs> How do you feel of Alexa always listening?
1: So here's the thing. Uh, you know, Interesting enough, my wife and I are actually fairly concerned about privacy in the sense that we looked at the Richard Snowden – or Edward sorry, yeah. the Edward Snowden and the NSA things in horror. and And I tend to think people – uh, I don't want to claim that I'm old, but people over a certain age, I think, have a little bit more concern with that than people under a certain age who are more used to the technology. And it does bother me, but at the same time, I'm such a techie that I'm like, huh, it bothers me, but this is cool. Right. I, you know, I, I love playing with it. And great is like, I can be in the kitchen and it's sensitive, so I can be in my living room. We were watching uh, Selma the other day, fantastic film uh, about the Martin Luther King led march on, on Selma uh, or from Selma to uh, the Capitol. Of uh Alabama, so um fantastic film. But we wanted to know more about some of the historical figures in it. So I, you know, I'm like Alexa, Wikipedia, John Lewis, and it gave me a bunch more information on it.
0: Do you have to yell if you're in the other room? Or no, is actually, it's, it's I, that good. You, you just had to
1: talk, you know, firmly, not yelling. <laughs> talk firmly. Okay, <laughs> you got to lay down the line with Alexa. sometime this, this is the other disturbing part. So our head of IT also has an echo, uh, as does one of one of the other attorneys here, and. Um, we uh, you know, we talk about it all the time, but apparently, I'm one of them I won't tell you who, but one of them was very frustrated with Alexa. Okay, because you know he wanted a certain type of music played, but Alexa didn't quite get it right, and so he's like, "Alexa, stop! Alexa, stop!" And that's what you have to do. You know, you say, "Alexa, stop," and and it stops playing whatever. And th- but then he felt badly for yelling at this device. <laughs> like like I felt badly, so I said, "Alexa, I'm sorry." And he didn't expect a response, but then it said,
3: that's
2: okay. Oh, God. Oh, Alexa knows <laughs> yeah. what side he's yeah. on when the robot was uh, come. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I will have to say that I do see an unintended consequence of, of all this, like, Internet of Things and these connect- connections that every AI that comes out or, you know, sort of AI, it's a girl's name. So, basically, we're saying that if you have this, this system in your house, you can't have a kid named Alexa. Because you're gonna be, you're gonna be Alexa this, Alexa well, that, Alexa, and, and all this stuff's gonna happen. Or Siri, or something. Well,
1: actually, you know? Amazon, interesting enough, said that they were hoping to eventually change it so that you could. Right now, you can say Alexa or you can say Amazon, but they said that they were hoping that, that to change it so that you could kind of put whatever you wanted.
2: Hmm. So you and can you can you can name your own like AI. assistant.
1: Yeah. I, well, what I thought was interesting about this, I was going to name it Computer.
2: Yeah, so it'd be like Star Trek. I computer. Perfect. Computer,
1: order me something. It just, I don't know. I, anyways, I think so, it's fascinating. So
0: one thing is, have you actually ordered stuff through Alexa?
1: No, I haven't done that yet. Partially because I know once I start, I may not stop. So mm-hmm. I, I, already the convenience of buying things online is, is a disturbing drain on my wallet. Um, because sometimes you be, listen, it's just human nature. You're shot. You're looking around. You see something like that's really cool. Do you need it? No. But it's really cool, and I want it, and it's not too expensive, and I could have it here in less than 48 hours for free because I've got free
2: shipping. So I—I I gotta admit, I get imagine, suckered in. Imagine if you see it, like, the turnaround and you see a commercial, and you're just like, Alexa, get me that. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> and ten minutes later, I did not want that. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I
0: wouldn't be surprised if Alexa has some sort of like compatibility to the TV eventually, and whatever oh, you're watching, that, you just yeah. streamline the entire
2: process. Uh,
1: absolutely. It—it yeah. it, 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 it's just a step in that direction but it's kind of a cool step so i'm not pitching this product to everybody but if you're interested uh amazon prime for amazon prime members it's 100 bucks for for people who are not amazon prime members it's 200 i do not think it's worth 200 dollars 100 dollars if you if you got money to toss at it it's kind of an interesting thing and it will always be upgrading but but 200 no the thing is though is you can't buy it straight you have to go on ask for an invitation and then They send you – eventually, they send you the invitation, and then you can buy it, and then you get put on the wait list for – I still haven't gotten my invitation. Yeah, so I – I'm on the the outside looking in. Exclusivity, that's what it's all about. I'm on the outside looking in. It's partially exclusivity, and it's partially – I don't think they estimated the demand for it because they they sold it out entirely. But they started this last November. I wrote – I requested an invitation three days after they announced it. Uh, the IT director and the other attorney here also, uh, requested invitations after I did and they got theirs back in February. They like them. They and like, I, it's they like it, them better it, than they like you. It apparently. made no sense. And I was, uh, thoroughly upset and I let them know. So every time yeah. I saw them in the hallway, <laughs> um, so, uh, Mike, uh, you were going to get back to us about quest. We talked about gamification mm-hmm. last yeah. week. So
2: have you, have you gamified your life down to the T or what? I
0: wanted to, I really wanted to. Uh, So just a reminder to everyone, kind of what quest is, is a task manager that incorporates levels of gamification, where when you accomplish things, your character levels up. So I spent seven painful days with quest, you know? So what, what happens is you, you put in your list of tasks and you have a little character in the top left. And as you accomplish these tasks, you get basically like gems. And when you hit a certain level of gems, you go to the store and you upgrade your armor or your sword or your helmet, all this stuff. Uh But it's strictly aesthetic. It has no actual functionality. And when I realized that, that it's actually not... It's, it was essentially pointless. Uh It was just basically pimping out your little character. Uh I, I kind of lost, lost a little bit of engagement there. And I also found myself putting in like monotonous tasks like eat breakfast brush my teeth just so i could level up quickly and uh yeah yeah it was oh, it so was... it's easily gamed oh yeah. it, beyond easy <laughs> but
1: but i know sartorial choices are very important to you <laughs> this is true so... this
0: is true but yeah so i uh listen give it a shot it might be up your alley but it wasn't for me That's did a...
3: it uh modify your behavior in any positive ways
0: uh not in the slightest bit at all
2: I actually went through a uh, an app purge on my phone. I was just going through them, and I was like, you know, what? I haven't used this. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where I, I did it. I did it maybe about six months ago. Where spring clean Yeah, it it almost is because you go through and you're like, when was the last time I opened that app? Mm-hmm. If I didn't, if I haven't opened it in a while, it's gone. And I got it down to a smaller bunch. Now it's smaller. Now I think I have two screens, and I had like five before. So it actually it it's kind of funny, right? It doesn't really have an effect on my life. <laughs> it really does not like impact my life but yet it was freeing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I, <laughs>
1: I agree is, with that. Every is. time I get rid of something like uses like that that I don't need, even if it's on a computer, yeah. you just feel refreshed or... Like yeah, a slight spe- burden is gone. Especially
0: when you're about to delete them and you have all the apps shaken. If you're on iOS, you yeah. know, all of them are shaking. <laughs> it's, they're it's, all just... crap in their pants. Which one's going to go? Yeah, exactly.
2: It's like, it's like anxiety, right? They want to show that like all the apps are on edge. Yeah. They're yeah. yeah.
1: shaking. <laughs> <laughs> so it's <laughs> really about a feeling of power, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah it's, Pretty it's much. It's godlike control.
0: We are the rulers of our digital <laughs> devices. Or <laughs> do they rule us? I, you know, I can make the argument in either direction.
1: <laughs> well, what was what that line from Avengers? I would be a fair but firm ruler or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But...
3: Um, so James, the uh, the interview today is yours. So I met with Ethan Rodriguez-Torrent and Max Sutter, who are two Yale classmates, graduated in 2011, and have since started Escape New Haven. They launched that in February of 2005. It's been wildly successful, and it's an escape room game. Uh, and we'll just play the interview and let them uh, explain it to you. Welcome to the CT Startup Podcast. My name is James McLaughlin and I'm here today with the founders of Escape New Haven, Ethan Rodriguez-Torrent and Max Sutter. Guys, tell us a little bit about uh, your business and and what Room Escape Games are. Sure.
4: Basically, um, we run a puzzle room venue. It's, uh, It's an entertainment venue where you can come either with a team or come and be paired with a team. We lock your team in a room for an hour and you have to try to figure out how to escape. The room is full of puzzles, and very few get out,
3: but everybody has a good time. And when do you, got, you guys launched in February,
5: and things have been
3: really off to a strong start since then?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah we've we're had pretty full every single weekend since we opened. Yeah, we've had um, over
4: 1,600 players come through, uh, a lot of returning players, and we have another, I think, thousand bookings
3: terrific. lined up. And you guys are located down here in New Haven, and how many people can you accommodate uh, at, one, at one time?
5: Uh, we, can, we can handle 19 people at a time. Uh, we have three rooms. Uh, one, our largest holds nine people, and then we have a six-person room and a four-person room, and those all run at the same time.
3: Max, how did you and Ethan get together uh, and, and decide that you were going to start the business?
5: Um, well, I guess we had been friends for about, I guess, a year before. Uh, at least, yeah. <laughs> at least. And uh, we had hosted game nights and things at our houses. We, we live across the street from each other. And so we started working on a beta test room over the summer that we built in my garage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took us about two or three weeks of just staying up super late every night, uh, building my garage into this yeah. escape room. And we started out by opening it just to our friends and emailing just them. And by the end of the week, uh, they had told all their friends, who told all their friends, and we were getting people sign up who we'd never met before. And then we, we kind of shut it down after a week because of a bit of conflict with the condo board, but uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Notorious <laughs> condo boards. But yeah, it was so popular that we figured this is probably a great thing to start here in New Haven. There's a lot of energetic, enthusiastic, creative people, um, and there's nothing like it in town yet, so.
3: Great, yeah, and, and related to that point, so escape rooms are they started From my understanding, they have um, the, the real life
4: escape version has its roots in Japan, uh, where somebody in 2007 decided, you know, we're going to actually make this a, a real life thing where people can run through and solve puzzles and, and try to get out. And then it spread. Um, it spread to several countries. There are a ton in China. There are a bunch in Taiwan, um, all over Europe. I think Budapest has one per 30,000 people. Wow. Um, and it hit the West Coast a few years ago. And the East Coast a little more recently last year.
3: So, what percentage of groups usually solve the puzzle and get out of the room?
5: Uh, so, right now, it's a little under thirty percent get out at all. And I think we're
4: at twenty percent right now. You think
5: we're at twenty? We haven't done the
4: stats in a while.
3: Okay. Any any safeguards against you know someone
5: who's played the game before
3: coming in with the group? I, I suppose that wouldn't be a very. Um, it's usually would...
5: like if you think it would be fun, we're fine with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. As, also, as long as your
4: your you know team members are aware of it. Um, yeah. We don't we don't offer like monetary prizes, um, partly for that reason, because we don't want people coming back just just for the win or just for the time. Right. Um, and generally, if you've played a room, you're probably not going to want to play it again because you've already solved you know 90 percent of the puzzles.
3: Mm-hmm. So why spend an
4: hour solving the last
3: ten percent? So starting up a business in Connecticut is this is this the first business for both of you? Have, have, have either of you been involved in a entrepreneurial enterprise before?
5: Yeah, I think both of us have been. Involved in various capacities in different businesses before, um, I, uh, straight after graduating, uh, from college in 2011, I started a high efficiency cooling company or computer cooling company that, uh, we went on for about a year before we wound down and decided we weren't the people for the job. Um, fun fact, IBM recently released the same product we were working on. So they were <laughs> the right people for the job. Right? Um, And then since 2012, I've been working at a biotech startup in Brantford. So all I've ever done really is startups and small companies.
4: And basically the same is true for me. (laughs) I've been working at the Silk Road Art Gallery in New Haven for over a year. I started working there before the gallery even opened. So I got kind of like a behind-the-scenes look. And I I eventually took over most of the back-end administrative stuff. So I, I kind of had some experience with You know, all the little nitty-gritty that's necessary, like insurance and, you know, employing people and taxes and all that stuff that you need to start a small business.
3: Mm -hmm. And so starting up this business, it was initially just two of you. Both of you have day jobs. You know, talk about some of the challenges you face. (laughs) Time management. (laughs) Yeah, time. Especially, you know,
4: because one of the things Max and I both love about New Haven is that it has such a great community here you know, both in terms of a startup community and also just personally, like our, our friends. And once we started, you know, pulling double shifts, basically, you know, day job and then 40 hours at Escape, um, we kind of, Stop seeing the people yeah. we care about for a while or like whenever we would see them, we would be talking about we basically it would basically be an escape meeting mm-hmm. until yeah. they started yelling at us. Board meeting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just
5: yeah. Stop doing social that. life stopped, laundry stopped, okay. <laughs> food stopped. Sometimes showering stopped because was just too yeah. tired. Um In the three weeks before launch, I think we got about three hours of sleep every night. How there was one Four night when we,
4: we came home at 9 a.m. It was like, you know, it was like in the morning we, we got home and I think All it was night. 9 a.m. Yeah. I got I got to sleep for like half an hour because I I don't work till ten, but Max had to go directly and to work. I, I just
5: left straight from work and went to work.
4: Um. <laughs> another night we got home at, at three. Well, we left we left Escape at three a.m. only to find that Max's car had been towed. So that was <laughs> yeah. We had some rough patches. Yeah,
5: it was it was it was a fun pre- preparation period for launch. Yeah.
4: I feel like yeah, definitely, I I would caution any like prospective entrepreneurs against, you know, having a full-time job and also mm-hmm. trying to start a new business mm-hmm. uh, because it was definitely very stressful. But for us, it was the only way to go because we didn't have, you know, large resources behind us where we could, you know, pay ourselves in that time
3: when we were starting the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has that pace kept up? Have you have you guys still been at it 40 hours a week plus your day job?
5: I mean, I think since we've launched, it's been, it's gotten into a rhythm where it's, it's less, um, like, putting out fires and getting getting things up and running. Now it's, it's day-to-day, running groups through the scenarios. Um, a little bit of administration, um, but it's it's more predictable. And the hours are, like, we know when a group is coming. So as opposed mm-hmm. to you might be there till 5 a.m., 9 right. a.m. <laughs>
4: right. I'm laughing because there's a lot more administration than you think. True. <laughs> so Max, Max does a full-time job. I am half-time at the gallery and I spend most of my other time at Escape, most of my working hours. Um, we just hired two new employees who are learning really fast. Um, so that we're, yeah, it's, it's really good for us because we want to expand the concept and we want to do creative things and we want to build new rooms and stuff. But, and now we're able to do that because the employees are taking over the day-to-day running of most of the scenarios.
3: Yeah, so building on that, so, you know, where do you see the next steps going? I mean, you've got 19, uh, room for 19 right now, but obviously larger groups uh, might be something that, you know, that you're interested in. And I imagine you've got plans for, uh, well, tell me some about your plans. All
5: right. I think, um, so like you mentioned, uh, large groups, that's a big priority for us because I think, first of all, it's it's way more fun when you have a bigger group more chaos, more people working together, more like trying to figure out what the room is trying to teach you. Um, And that's something we, until now, hadn't had time to really think about. Mm -hmm. Um, Also collaborating with people in the community to try and, uh, for example, someone has a very interesting venue um, and wants to bring an element of puzzle solving and gaming to it. We want to figure out how we can maybe install some puzzles that don't require video surveillance, for example, and we can just have these puzzles built into this person's venue. So we've had a couple of those, actually, where people want us to be kind of like game consultants.
4: Which is really fun, which is like living the dream for us, basically. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we need to see if those turn into reality. One of the things I think we're focusing on right now in terms of expansion is expanding geographically. So there are a couple locations we're looking at to, you know, bring a new escape to to a city that either doesn't have escapes or has a lot of young people and and only one or two escapes.
5: Mm -hmm. And so far there's been... The market seems very unsaturated. Uh, a good data point is that the city of Toronto has 31 escape rooms just mm. in Toronto. Just in Toronto. So, okay. um, <laughs> and like I said,
4: Budapest has one per 30,000. So.
5: It's the kind of thing where like, in New Haven now, because of us, you can do three different scenarios a year, three or four scenarios a year. So And there's 52 weekends in a year. So you, there's more potential for the, the diehard fans to, mm-hmm. to tap into that. So the puzzles are tied
3: to the room. You've got three different rooms. Do do the puzzles for the room ever reset or recycle? We're looking at right now every three to four months,
4: completely basically gutting one of our scenarios and replacing it with an entirely new scenario, so new decor and new puzzles. Oh, terrific! So each each room should have each scenario should have a like a shelf life of nine months to a year.
3: Great. So you'd mentioned before about connecting with uh, people in the community, specifically New Haven. What how how have you found? Being a startup in New Haven, being a startup in Connecticut, uh, how would you describe? You know, and, and it doesn't have to be specific to the startup community, but have you found a lot of resources in the community, uh, or has that been a challenge?
5: What we've found has been the like, I think, or in my opinion, has been the unstructured resources. It's kind of like a, a community of people where. You are basically no more than three degrees away from any other individual, so people are always excited to introduce you to their friend who happens to be a set designer and wants to get involved in Escape New Haven because they heard about you on the radio, or that kind of thing. Or so, like
4: the local bar that you go to all the time and love would also love to host your launch party, right?
5: Right. Which yeah. uh,
4: Ordinary and Brick did for us in New Haven.
5: So it's it's a very connected network, I think, in in Connecticut and particularly New Haven. So and it makes it makes a publicity easy because things catch on so well by word of mouth and Facebook friends, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the more unstructured stuff that we found helpful.
3: So so, what's, so what have been some of the real challenges you know, beyond, beyond the time commitment, you know, going from idea to business? You know, what, what were some of the things that, that you didn't think about, that you didn't anticipate, that, that you found to be really difficult or you know, what are the, some of the things that, you thought might, that were difficult that, that ended up turning out being a, a little bit easier than, than you
5: thought? I think more difficult than we thought was finding a location. We had a pretty aggressive schedule in at the end of the summer when we had just finished our beta test and it took us pretty much until mid December to settle into the location we we now have. We spent most of the fall, about two months, two and a half months, just looking at different properties, seeing what popped up. And I think it was time well spent because it's, the kind of thing where like you can have a great business and if no one knows how to get to it and you're impossible to find, uh, it, no, nothing will ever come of it. So I think that was a challenge, but I think we dealt with it well. Because mm-hmm. um, now we have this location that's walkable from downtown New Haven and from the East Rock neighborhood. It's easy to get to from the highway. It's got kind of like a mystique cool factor to it in the basement of William Taft's mansion. So that's kind of cool. Oh, really? um, okay, great.
3: That's uh... Yeah, it's
5: available nights and weekends, which was... We thought it was going to be easy but it turns out a lot of office buildings don't like that right, uh, right so uh so yeah it was it was hard to find and i think we we pulled it off
4: yeah it took it took a long time another thing that i found challenging was finding good professional services so mm-hmm. you know we talked to for example we talked to a couple lawyers and you know had no idea of who to approach um, in terms of like who who would cater to us as a small business and and we approached a couple of guys who were clearly had bigger clients on their mind. Didn't really care whether or not you know we signed with them. So that's when the um, and you know I'm talking about legal, accounting, mm-hmm. um, even insurance, you know, insurance especially uh, finding a real estate broker as well. Um, so that's when the the startup community uh, really helped us out. So Vishal, um, who I believe is also going to be on this podcast, um, yeah,
3: yeah, Vishal Patel from Happy Life.
4: Yeah, Vishal uh, introduced us directly to. Martha, um, the Martha, Kalina, Martha mm-hmm. Kalina, our law firm, and um, also indirectly to uh, Nancy Riella um, out in Colchester, who is our accountant now, and uh, a couple other, who, who introduced us to, maybe we found Carol ourselves, I think.
5: Oh, yeah, we found, yeah, we just called a lot of real estate We called a lot <laughs> of real estate agency. That's how we dealt with that <laughs> problem. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, and uh, but Carol introduced our real estate agent, introduced us to our um, insurance agent. Mm-hmm. So like those are like the big ones you need to line up as a, as a new business, I think. And uh, it was it was definitely made a lot easier by having that entrepreneurial community who can make recommendations.
3: Yeah, great. And, and, it, and it seems you had you had some help. You've got an investor to kind of help with the initial startup costs. And well,
4: uh, my my friend from grade school, Dylan, um, he helped, he invested a little over a third. Of our initial capital um, and he he actually was was the person i went to my first room escape in new york with um, and we both came out talking about the concept like not only as something we can improve on but also as a possible business
3: starting an escape room in new york say uh, as, as compared to new haven i mean w- what are things about new haven that makes the experience better in, you, in your opinion if for, for us like our community
4: is in new haven mm-hmm. not in new york for, for max and me so mm-hmm. It just it wouldn't make sense for us to rush off to New York, even though they do. You know, there is so much demand there. Um, it makes sense for us to do it in New Haven. It's a little bit of a smaller, you know, smaller town, and uh, that you know, this is where we're based.
5: So, I think New Haven is good for this because it's kind of a, a crossroads in the Northeast. It's like close to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, New York, you have a lot of people right there. In New Haven, you're drawing people from the entire state. Uh, we have people draw, drive in from Massachusetts. To come to it um, yeah. it's it's kind of a destination on its own whereas New York I imagine it's probably a lot more local traffic mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an advantage or a disadvantage but it it is kind of cool to see the diversity everyone who comes through the doors I say how far are you coming in from and it's always a different answer we had someone in from South Africa who was visiting a friend for the wow. week um, a friend of mine from Nebraska who just dropped in um, so <laughs> California, yeah Germany. I think the the universities bring a lot of people from out of town as well so mm-hmm. You get a pretty diverse group in New Haven,
4: and you know there are only so many. Like people have kind of a limited um, amount of disposable income to spend on entertainment, and if there are options other than you know going to a bar, uh, a restaurant, you know theater and music, then then I think you know you're going to be you're going to be popular, and that's I think that's that's why people are are coming to us because they they want to do something different.
3: Yeah, I think it, it is definitely one of those those things where people are always asking, Oh, what, what can we do? And, and this is right. a real new idea, a much uh, more novel option. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just getting back to the, to the business side. I, so you guys are, are not only just the operators of the business, but you're the, you're the puzzle masters as well.
5: Yes, that is correct. <laughs> we, <laughs> we designed the puzzles and built them. <laughs> and built them. Yep. Now, how, how much development time went into that? Uh, I'd say like in terms of idea creation, probably about one jam packed evening per Per scenario, we have Mm -hmm. three of them Of just thinking of puzzles Looking to see if it's possible to build them Uh, A
4: lot of it was A lot of it was like us Spending, you know, I don't know, an hour or something And then saying, okay, this is where we're at you keep brainstorming, you keep brainstorming. Because it's kind of like hard to spit out puzzles mm-hmm. on demand. Yeah, so no, I you know, I'd you, imagine you, they, that would be They kind of percolate yeah. in your, percolate in
5: we your subconscious. We have a running email thread, too, of just yeah. like, in the middle of the week, on a random week, I'll have an idea, email you things. That helps <laughs> text me, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> you had mentioned earlier that there's video surveillance involved. So is there are the puzzles, when you send a group into a room, the interaction doesn't end there? Uh, are, are you responding to what's happening in the room?
5: Yeah, for some groups the interaction does end there if a group comes in and starts doing really well And, and then we don't need to inter- interact with them at all mm-hmm. um, some groups uh, don't t- don't have it as easy and um, They seem like they're getting frustrated So we try to like make sure the experience is still fun for them and then we'll maybe send them a Pre-written set of clues or hints or interact with them that way
4: we are monitoring all three teams who are playing simultaneously we're monitoring them on um, video cameras and with audio surveillance and we have a computer monitor in each scenario that we can feed slideshow clues to mm-hmm. so if we want to you know tell people something like oh take a closer look in that corner or you know <laughs> <laughs> don't give up on that lock so
3: easily we can do that but you're not giving away too many clues with a 20% uh, success no no, no. no. so <laughs> we <Yeah,
4: yeah. laughs> we'd prefer it's I've watched teams I've had plenty of instances and especially training the new people they've had plenty of instances where they really want to give somebody a clue mm-hmm. and I'll just say okay, give them two more minutes and it's
3: much more satisfying for the team when they figure it out than when we give it to them and you find the teams you know when when eight out of eight out of ten are coming out having failed uh, they generally s- still seem pretty happy about that
5: yeah i th- I've experienced a lot of like still positive energy usually okay. it's it's less like disappointment and more like frustration and like, oh, I'll get them next time kind of thing. Like they want to come back and do a different room and show sure that they can still get out. So I think that's, that's usually the vibe. Every now and then you'll get a really low energy group coming through. <laughs> but it's <laughs> unavoidable. But we do what we can to like get people excited before they go in. So, so that's the kind of, that's generally the feeling. And also I think you, you want it to be hard because you don't feel that bad when you lose because it's hard and mm-hmm. you feel great when you win. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah, exactly. You don't want it to be too simple so that you just kind of walk through
4: it yeah, right? If we had a, a 60% success rate imagine being in the 40% that loses, you know, yeah, good point <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah.
3: You might not advertise the success rate at that point yeah. <laughs> So so where where does this end for you? I mean, where, where, where do you guys hope to go? with this? obviously you mentioned that this is kind of living the dream and and it's something that you're doing part-time putting in full-time hours to uh, but but still doing it part-time Um you know it's something that you'd like to do for a living Is just something that you want to do for um, a couple of years i mean wh- where where do you see it at this point
5: so i think we really want to expand open up new locations take the business in innovative directions a lot i mean a lot of escape rooms are expanding mm-hmm. i think what what we're really excited about is not just opening new locations aspect of it and catering to big groups kind of building games into real life in more creative ways um,
4: yeah we have we have a couple of, of really exciting ideas they might need, you know, a little more capital than we're ready just to to put up right now, and we don't really want to give them away, so we're going to have to be mysterious. But but we really want to take there. There are a lot of room escapes popping up right now, and we want to take it in in a, a little bit of a new direction.
3: Great, yeah. Well, you know, don't don't give away the uh, the answer to that puzzle there. <laughs> <laughs> so dealing, you know, you, you guys are both uh, are involved with other startups, with other businesses. You know, what 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 kind of Lessons have you taken from from your previous experience that that you found have been helpful uh, in starting up Escape New Haven?
5: I think you can't underestimate the value of throwing money at a problem. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There are problems that are really hard to do and (laughs) hard to do alone. And sometimes you, you have to just pay more money for the right solution. And I think it's hard to make that call when you don't have a lot of money and you're starting a business that... Like you don't know if it's going to work at all, but it's definitely not going to work if you don't solve the critical problems. Uh, so don't underestimate that. Don't and similarly, like don't do yourself what you could hire a professional to do a ten times better job at.
3: Interesting, interesting to say though, because uh, your business model is having people throw money at problems, <laughs> 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 pay money to be able to solve problems. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love other people it. throw money.
4: At. Yeah, th- actually, Max and I have, have had this back and forth a lot, um, especially at the beginning when you know. We weren't sure if we were if we were gonna make money, and and my experience at the gallery has been that you know to make a really good product it does it does require some you know some money some investment. And Max has always been the you know one like looking at the books and saying okay look like we can't you know this is all money that we're investing you know the, like we can't be spending like all this extra money on a whim. Um, and I've always been the one who's like, all right, you know, we, we should spend money when it needs to be spent. You know, we're not going to get any customers if the experience is only mediocre. And it ended up that I think that's one of the reasons we make great business partners is because we kind of moderated each other's instincts mm-hmm. in that way. And and when it came down to it and we and we started getting all these bookings, we started loosening up a little and saying, oh, OK, you know, we can put money into this. Like maybe it mo- makes more sense to, you know have somebody doing our accounting than trying to do our accounting ourselves right, um, because right. you know we don't have that time now right. we're like we're and, trying to spend our time and on there are puzzles.
5: things that only we can do and we should be focusing on that and have the professionals right. do what they do
3: right more of a conductor than kind of a one-man band right Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. so any of the resources that you used I know you'd mentioned score um, you know if, if you were counseling um, an, an entrepreneur who had uh, a new business idea. You know, where would you direct them, or what kind of advice would you give them? I mean, not, and it doesn't have to be particular to resources, but uh, just just generally.
5: So, one group that I haven't interacted with in a couple of years, but I remember was very helpful and is still active in Connecticut, is the Lean Startup Meetup, mm-hmm. um, and that's a good way to just meet other people who are thinking about. What's the next big idea? What's my next big idea? And it's people who are having the same problems you are and have maybe solved a few of them already. I think, like we mentioned earlier, like it's the, the network of people and community and personal recommendations for services you might need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Connecticut Startup Meetup is good. Score is another good one. Pulse was another good one.
4: It's, it's really helpful to be talking to people who then been where you are. So when, when we were at the very, very beginning, when we were just talking about forming a company, you know, we had all of these, you know, uncertainties and questions about even about like what our relationship would be in the company. You know, would we go half and half? Would we, you know, would would we split it a different way? And it really helped to talk to um, people we know who, who have been there already. So other other entrepreneurs basically.
3: When you guys came together and, and developed this business idea, it was really you were, were you pursuing something that you really liked to do and were, to see if you could make a living at it, or did you always have the intention of of starting a company yourself, and, and, and this kind of happened to be the idea that that seemed to work best? My father was a small business owner, and he was never
4: successful. Wrong business, wrong place, wrong time, whatever it was. So I actually never had the intention of owning my own business because mm-hmm. I saw like all the ways it could go wrong, but when I came upon, you know, when we came upon this idea, it struck me as I I was actually contemplating two different ideas at the time, basically. Um, One, one was like a much more bureaucratic administrative thing um, that had a potential to make a lot of money. And uh, another one was this, which had like less financial potential. But I, when I saw when I realized that I could spend if I could spend you know 40 hours a week doing something that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. and being my own boss I, I was like that's that's more valuable you know to me than anything mm-hmm. basically so so that's that's how I made that choice
5: I think similarly for me in um, in August when we were first getting started and even through to January um, <laughs> I was at the point where like I don't know if this is gonna work but it's tons of fun and it's what i want to be doing anyway it's it's at very least a really fun project and hey maybe a lot of other people want to be a part of this and pay money to check out your stuff yeah, so. the
4: fun project mindset was was so crucial and the fa- so the fact that max was there reminding me you know that this is a fun thing we're doing remember to have fun with it you know when <laughs> right. i was like right. i was totally swamped with you know timelines and and you know money and like Looking at you know balance sheets and stuff like that, and and all the nitty gritty administrative stuff that has to be done. But I was I was getting so involved in that that I almost at some point lost sight of the fact that this was fun, that we're doing it for fun. Right. And Max was there to remind me like this is fun, okay. And and it's hard now, but like we're gonna get over it, and it's gonna be fun again. So remember that.
3: Great. And so if you had. Uh something that you could share with other entrepreneurs, uh, something that you've learned, something that you've taken away. Boil it down to, you know, just one sentiment. What, what would that be?
5: Personally, I think just go for it. Just do it. I think I, I have like 20 ideas a day and a lot of them are terrible and some of them are good. Um, and don't let choosing an idea stop you from choosing any idea. So this like, this is the kind of thing that's really fun and I've thought about it before, but until Ethan was like, yeah, this we, we can do this right and we can we can make it work and it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be really successful. Like I needed someone else to tell me that and it helped to have someone else who independently also thought it was a good idea. Chris?
4: I think I would say listen.
5: Um, so listen to your potential
4: customers because like Max said, you know, we, we do have... We're creative people, you know. Everybody, we everybody's listening to this podcast probably has at least one idea that they think is going to be really good. You're not going to know if it's going to be really well. Good is a subjective term, mm-hmm. so um, you want a way to know whether other people are also going to think it's going to, it's really good or good enough to pay money for. And that's what the the lean startup helped convince me that we should. I, I was all ready to go to go into this without doing a beta at all, but max, fortunately, you know, (laughs) he was like a little bit more grounded. He was like, Ethan, we need to find out if people are actually kind of like this. And, and that was honestly our biggest proof of concept. So when I was, when I was pitching to, to my high school friend, Dylan, um, to invest, like that was one of the the big things I I could, you know, bring to him. I could say, look, we, we had this up for one week. All the spots we had were filled. People were telling their friends about it, Mm -hmm. you know, between Monday and Friday, we had, People coming in who we didn't know, like that was the best proof of concept we could have possibly gotten.
3: And have you have you had to pivot at all? I mean, or or the escape room as it currently is, very much the same as it was when you started in February. I think
5: I think it's since February. I mean, we've made t- small changes, mm-hmm. um, but most of it was just kind of day to day, how to streamline the operation and how to give people the best experience. Nothing, nothing major. But again, listening was because fundamentally you don't know what people want. They. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what they want. You have to look at their behavior and see what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just ask people what they want, and similarly, you can't just guess. You kind of have to always be adapting. So That's
4: especially the case when we design puzzles, because once you've thought of a puzzle and implemented it, you're so inside of it that it seems you have a totally distorted sense of how easy it is or how mm-hmm. difficult it mm-hmm. is and, and whether or not people are going to have the same intuitions as you. So that's one of the things that we change most often, I think, or especially at the beginning when we launched the rooms, we saw people come through. Um, we still have, we have this one puzzle that's really funny in, in the studio where when, when I created it, I thought it was gonna be the easiest thing. I thought people were gonna get it right away, and it was just a throwaway, mm-hmm. and nobody gets it because it looks okay. like a piece of the decor
5: everyone ignores it. I don't know. Maybe like <laughs> one or two groups ever have, have solved it in at the right time. Most groups have to like come back anyhow. But to um, you it's it's just standing re- right out in the open as far right. as, as far as you yeah. are.
4: So that's the kind of that's the kind of thing where you actually have, you have to you have to see how your customers react to your product.
3: And a, a lot of the people coming in have they already had experiences in escape rooms before or are most people this is their first experience? For most people it's their first yeah. experience.
5: Probably like 5% of people on average. So mm-hmm. maybe like one per group has ever done anything like this before. Right. Or even heard of it. A yeah. lot of people, some groups come in not even knowing what they're doing. One, yeah, it's just like, like, you know, my friend. Like my friend signed, signed, us, signed us up. up. Yeah. We <laughs> um, had somebody
4: come in for a surprise birthday party, didn't even know where they were going to be, <laughs> where they were <laughs> when they arrived.
3: Wow, yeah, that's, that's just puzzles upon puzzles. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> um, and... Repeat business: people coming back and trying out the different different rooms, different puzzles.
5: Uh, we've had a couple all stars do all three. Um, uh, do, and do they get any official recognition? Um, no official recognition. <laughs> no. Um, beyond just some of them,
4: some of them bought shirts though and come back in the shirts to do their last puzzle. Ah. so like they're wearing the escape shirt to you know to finish so They get a picture off. posted on the
5: website. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> great. Uh, a lot. We have,
4: we have about a lot of people come back. Um, we've had about like a ten percent return rate so far, mm-hmm. but. There, are, but there are a lot of bookings in the pipeline. Like we're we're booking out, you know, two weeks in advance at least right now, and it's and to find a date with, you know, to come back with like eight other people, for example, is, is difficult. So I think there are a lot of um, return bookings in the pipeline. Great, and we're we're waiting for them to come back.
3: Has your business inspired any fan art? Any uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny? You should ask.
5: Yeah, definitely. Um, we had a uh, a local musician compose a freestyle rap song. Uh, six <laughs> minutes long about Escape New Haven. It's very inspired. Um, <laughs> we had yeah. fa- I, th- I feel like we've had other fan art, too.
4: Um, Anything graphical? Oh, what? yeah.
5: So a friend made a, a very appropriately themed birthday cake for you, right? Or something?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. My, a friend from um, Taiwan. So my, my birthday fell on the day before we opened, to the public. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really even celebrate it because we were just <laughs> working. Um, but my friend from Taiwan sent me a photo um, of a painting she had made of, uh, of like a, a guy holding a key. Our logo is, is a key and the, the end of the key looks like an E. So a guy holding a key, like reaching kind of like towards the stars, holding a key and, <laughs> and the key is the E of, of the
3: words Escape New Haven. That's great. So you really are inspiring people, not only to solve problems, but really,
5: you know, getting people's creative juices flowing. That's Yeah, that's great. I think
4: it does excite people.
5: Right after we launched, we had a couple people get really excited about puzzle design mm-hmm. and independently came up to us with like very elaborate plans and very specific plans for different puzzles they wanted us to use, which obviously we'd already launched and we couldn't incorporate them. Oh
4: yeah, we have so many puzzle ideas from people mm. who have played. Um, one of the one of the things we want to do with Escape is. Uh, make our new scenarios basically a place where the players are are being challenged by the entire escape community. Mm -hmm. So we have a ton of puzzle ideas from the community right now that we want to use. And of course, credit the people who gave us the ideas. And so that basically when you come in and play, you're not playing against me and Max. You're not playing against our minds. You're playing against the collective mind, Uh, you know, all the different ways of thinking that people bring to the table.
3: Any aspirations to solve larger societal problems, philosophical problems, or are you just sticking with uh, escaping from rooms for now?
5: <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a way of thinking we're trying to get people to think about because everything is kind of a game. You can mm-hmm. you can gamify a lot of aspects of your life, um, make it into a challenge. And um, I mean, the world is a big room full of puzzles. It's overdetermined. There's things you need to ignore, things you need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of getting people thinking about how much fun the world is on its own already. So that kind of thing. Like, the most fun is when people who, like, didn't even know they liked games come through and then realize, like, this is the most fun weekend I've ever had, quote from a Yelp review of our place. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple of people say yeah. this is the
4: most fun thing I've ever done. Somebody said this the feeling of escaping was better than getting into med school. Somebody is actually... Well, by, by the time you're hearing this, um, somebody has proposed to his girlfriend at ESCAPE. Wow. So wow. People, are, people are pretty yeah. inspired.
3: Wow. So it's going from from one problem and just getting yourself into another. <laughs> <problem>. Okay, great. <laughs> so inspiring art, uh, bringing people together, uh, making a love connection. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm. We had a singles night? That was fun. Yeah. Did you have a singles night? <laughs> On yeah, Valentine's yeah, yeah. Day, yeah.
3: Wow. People want to find out more about ESCAPE New Haven. What's your website? Believe it or not, escapeNewhaven.com. com. That's terrific, and uh, you're located at downtown New Haven, one hundred uh, and eleven uh, Whitney Avenue, in the basement. Yeah,
5: entrance is around the back. Parking space is available.
3: And you need to make reservations, or you just, or you just show up and try to. No, go. no, you can't. You can't just show up. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty booked. Uh, you got to make reservations online. Great. On our
5: website. At least twenty-four hours in advance, but at this point, uh, about a two, week two weeks, one or two weeks in yeah, advance. At least. Terrific. Well, I wish
3: I, I wish you guys the best of luck, Ethan and
5: Max. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Thank
3: you. So we're back, and I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. It was a real pleasure to interview Ethan and Max. Uh, Rarely do you come across people who enjoy their job so much. Uh, (laughs) I think it's really cool that, you know, Escape Games is something that they were really into, really passionate about, truly enjoy. I mean, you know, Ethan's talking about losing track of time uh, when he's in an escape room. Um, you know, one of his favorite things is, is that he gets to expense, uh, going to other escape rooms in other cities. Um, and I think it's just a real positive story, uh, about when your, your passion, uh, what you're good at and what you can be successful at, uh, intersect and, you know, they're just having a lot of great success. You know, I, I just went on, uh, TripAdvisor and, and looked at their ratings. They've got 35 ratings, 34 of which are, which are five star ratings, and one is a four star rating. So uh, unless they're, you know, also masters at gaming, TripAdvisor, it seems that they've got, you know, really pretty unanimous, uh, rarely unanimous, uh, uh, en- en- enjoyment um, uh, from their customers. Uh, so I just, I just think that's that's terrific.
1: I just think it's funny. We all. Uh... You know, it's a constant theme in everyday life. Where I'll talk about escaping from our jobs. They can't <laughs> yeah, do right. that. No, they can't. <laughs> they could can lock themselves in their own escape room, I suppose. <laughs> but they'd just be trying to get back out to their own. They jobs. know the way out. They <laughs>
2: yep. know the way out. Um, I will have to say is that you, you definitely had some good lines there, James. You know, like really, really using the escape. Uh, <laughs> it's a very very, <laughs> very
0: rich, rich uh, canvas. I was really surprised by the fact that only twenty uh, percent of of people actually got out of the room or solved or the puzzle. Yeah. uh that's we, that's we haven't
1: cool. seen you try it.
0: I, I'd be hopeless. I the <laughs> I'm terrible at that. The, my only experience with this kind of this escape room type of stuff was uh, about a week ago. I saw it on Conan uh Conan actually went into one of the escape rooms. It was like kinda like this nineteen fifties themed detective room and they had to solve the puzzle and man, some of those things are really tough. And yeah, he didn't get out either.
1: <laughs> they they had an interesting one on uh Big Bang Theory once. There was an episode where they went to an escape room and it was themed like a mad scientist lair. Uh some guy popped out of the wall as like a chained up zombie kind of thing. It was it was pretty cool. But uh unfortunately I haven't you know had a chance to go to uh Ethan and Matz's escape room. So I haven't seen theirs, but then again, not many people have because it's always booked up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they are. What, what What did
3: he say? They had sixteen hundred people through already. Uh, I, I don't know the exact number, but um, yeah, I think yeah, I think I, that's right. He did say that they had huh. something like sixteen hundred bookings, and you I know, I, so. I just I just went on and. And looked again, and you know, the only spaces that are available for the next two weeks are, are kind of single person slots. So, if you want to be a rando and, and go join a group, and you know, I'd, I'd encourage, no, I'd no, encourage no you to rando. do so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no randos here. <laughs> it's a, I don't want to be locked in a room with someone solving puzzles that I don't know for an hour. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, you can spoil yeah. it for everybody else. It's actually, <laughs> yeah, right?
2: It's actually uh, interesting because I, um, so I first saw them on Ann Nyberg's show. So she does this little show, you know, the both online and, uh, and video and, you know, interviewing uh, some businesses. And so it was one of those things where I have the worst time coming up with like date nights, right, for for my girlfriend and I. And when I saw this, I was like, cha-ching, I'm going to be able to like surprise my girlfriend with this new thing. You know, not a lot of people know about it. It's, it's down in New Haven. And obviously, always, a lot of people always say that there's nothing to do in Connecticut. And that's basically if you live here that's what you're always saying and so i was like oh yeah this is great so i kept on dropping hints to her i was like yeah i got something for us this week i got something for us this week but i didn't like actually go and book a, a time so it came down to the the night or uh you know the day before and i looked and, and looked at it and it's like yeah it's booked out for the next couple of weeks and so finally i, I kind of had to tell her I kind of told her, I was like, well, I had this plan. I do have something cool we could do, but it's booked out. I think that was a,
1: now would be a great time to talk about our comments section. Uh, if you want to leave Eric dating advice on the uh, yeah, website. Right. Uh,
2: if, if you have any good date nights in Connecticut to do, uh, please let me know. Eric's I, always, uh, on the yeah, you know. I'm always on the market for it. I'm always on the market to uh, to go on a good date night. That's
3: and, right. and we, what... we love your feedback. Yeah. And what better date can you imagine than... Taking your sweetheart to a basement and locking her in a room. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that date can go one of two ways. <laughs> I mean, okay, I mean, let's uh, <laughs> find a new topic. <laughs> no, but one thing I will have to say is that one one of the things that really popped out of me from the interview was the <clears throat> fact that at one point I forgot whether it was, Ethan or Max. Uh, one of them was saying they they were kind of getting uh, bogged down with you know the running of the business, right? Kind of getting worried. Oh, we need more money. We need to do this. We need to. Uh, if we don't put money at this problem, we're not going to be able to solve it. And the other one said, "You know what? Remember, we're having fun, and and it's they clearly started this as a fun project, right? They mentioned in the po- podcast is that because they both had jobs, right? They both had full time jobs, and instead of going as, as we're going to start a business, we're it's we're going to go start a project. It's gonna it's, it's almost like a hobby, right? It's like and I was actually thinking about this the other day." And you have all these books of you know the 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 new economies right we have the thank you economy the sharing economy the this economy the uber economy whatever and it's almost <clears throat> excuse me if you if you look at a lot of successful business and not necessarily like the some tech but is that a lot of businesses are actually started out of like a hobby right it's almost like the hobby sure. economy where somebody is passionate about a hobby they they go after it they do it they have their their full time job but then that hobby expands into an actual business right. And so it's almost th- they did that. They they had gone to these ex- escape rooms. They liked to I mean the game night thing. I mean they they lived across from the street from each other, right? And they had game nights. And that's an- another thing about it. So I think that's actually a really important part of entrepreneurship is that at the end of the day, you're doing it because you're having fun at it. Mm-hmm. I mean it may be challenging, but it's fun, right? Mm-hmm. So so that that really just jumped out at me that they that they and again, this is the good thing about partnerships, right? It's it's that back and forth, you know, where one of them can be high strong and the other one can calm them down, or you know, vice versa. So,
3: yeah, I think it's it's got all the kind of hallmarks of the classic American success story, you know, like you said, a hobby started in a garage and it's providing something that uh, people didn't even know they wanted.
1: And and that's actually a great story about that they talked about, so literally building it in a garage and then inviting their neighbors over and eventually pissing off their condo association. Uh, which was, which was great. You know, I mean, it showed that there was, you know, talk about sort of testing a market, right? You know, you, you, you start doing something and everybody in the neighborhood wants to check it out. And then, uh. You realize there's something else
2: to it. Well, once you start pissing people off, you know you're on the right track. So yeah. uh, I, I think I think that's a good step.
3: Although condo condo associations are a low bar. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 too easy. That's too easy. Yeah, yeah. No, but definitely the fact
0: that you know they obviously have a passion for it, and I think that you know kind of transcends the whole idea of what they're doing. You know, and that that kind of love for what they're working on uh, shows through in their in their. Obviously, in the the interview itself, I haven't had a chance to go, so I think we should make a promise right now to our listeners that the four of us get locked in one of these rooms for an hour and see how we do. Oh, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I mean, another great aspect of this business model is that it relies heavily on uh, the limited intelligence of its customers, and you know, <laughs> we are four great examples for that. Uh, you know, only twenty percent successfully escape. Uh, we'll we'll let you know if we yeah. escape. <laughs> Is there a bathroom in this room? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. It is the
0: bathroom. It, oh. <laughs> it is the bathroom. We're locked in the wow. bathroom.
1: Our, our our level of humor is already sunk. So, yeah. <laughs> but that, but I
2: that think, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and I, I will have to say is that when they did say that only twenty percent, you know, passed it, I was like, you know what, that almost makes me get more pumped about it because I want to be in that twenty percent. It's a challenge, and it's it, it, it really it really is that kind of a thing. And, and I could almost see it right. Because he said that they had a lot of repeat customers or a decent amount of repeat customers that have gone through mm-hmm. it. And I like the idea of them switching it up every four months, right? Three or four months, whatever they were kind of saying, or that's what they're going to kind of go down that road. Sure. And I could almost imagine getting like a season's pass to this, right? You know that You know that there's going to be three or four rooms per quarter. Per you know, and then that's gonna switch around. I mean, again, for a date night kind of thing, or even as a group. I mean, I have a group of friends that if we knew we we could do this every year, and the and the I mean, however much it is, but you can almost get a, like a a season's pass to that. And then keep on doing it and almost have like a record kind of a cut. I think that would be, I, I mean, that's pretty s- cool. I wonder
0: if they'd do something like Six Flags did if you bring a, a can of Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, $5 off.
1: Ethan, if you're listening to this, we're totally selling your business here. Yeah. Right? We, we yeah, got yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, buy yeah. an annual pass. You get four trips a year. We want talk. equity. We got too many good ideas. We want an equity
0: stake. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the attorneys could draft it up right now. Yeah. Dave's getting started right now. <laughs>
3: great idea for prisons to, you know bring it into uh <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes yeah, keep <stripped>. prisoners entertained <laughs> yeah. Prisoners. yeah yeah give uh, them
1: give them a sense of hope <laughs> oh,
0: what was what was the fact about budapest who knew budapest was like kind of like the biggest home to these these uh, yeah ethan i, uh, uh, I, I think I it was the statistic
3: but you know the, the per capita amount of escape rooms was was just really surprising i think it was like one for
0: every 30,000 or something like that, which is insanely What does high. that
1: say about the psychology of a city?
0: Does
2: that mean that they always want to escape or what? Yeah, <laughs> like, it, it, they, they want to get the <laughs> fuck out of there. <laughs> does that mean we don't want to go to Budapest? Yeah, right. <laughs> the, um, the So another, actually, one thing that uh, just kind of popped my mind about it, too, is that when he was talking about his, his friend that was the investor, right, mm-hmm. you know, he... They obviously did the beta first. They tested it out. They made sure it worked. They made you know people were coming, and and they obviously said that they knew they were they were on track when they start. The people that were coming in, they didn't know, right? Because <laughs> right? right. because once you start you know having random strangers in your house, that's probably a good sign, <laughs> depending. But um, but but the his friend that was an investor. He invested into it because he likes that experience, right? He likes that business. He may not be an actual investor, you know, may, may not necessarily have a lot of money, but he invested because he likes that stuff. So it's, it's, again, I think there's a lot of investors out there that may like a certain thing, right? Or they, mm-hmm. they'll they invest in something because they're like, I've di- I did that experience. I think if you can create a better experience, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like, that was actually pretty cool where maybe, and kind of kind of a thing to for entrepreneurs to think about. Find somebody who is so passionate about what you're trying to do, and they may become your investor or an advisor or an employer or whatever, you know?
1: I think that leads to two common themes that, that I, I know all four of us have talked about a few times. But number one is that, uh, you know, we talk about bootstrapping. Yep. It's not all about venture capitalists. And we can't, as people who are fascinated about the entrepreneur community in Connecticut, we can't limit ourselves to high-end tech companies that are that have a you know really fast growth rate and are going to receive major financing. That's fantastic. I love those companies, and I love hearing about it, and I want to participate in that too. But I also want to participate in the happy lives and the escape rooms of the world because they're providing jobs, they're providing uh, valuable parts of our community, and they're taking passions and teaching other people how to turn those passions into practice. And the other part is that you know, uh, James and I talk about this all the time, is that when you get a, a, a partner that you're working with in your company, or frankly, if you're hiring a service provider, or if you're getting a VC investor, any investor, it's all about fit. It's all about it's all about finding someone who can share your goals and visions to a, a fair extent. Because if you have someone who owns equity in your company and they don't fit that vision, they they have a different idea as to where the company is supposed to go than you do then that can tear apart a company, and it can tear apart an idea. And so all these relationships that you're creating as an entrepreneur, you need to make sure that it's people you want to work with and people that you feel comfortable talking to. Because if you can't do that, then they're not the type of people that's coming to your company. You know, We have this concept of smart money, right? Don't just take the first person who offers you money. Don't take money from them. That might not be the right move. Take smart money, the people who are adding something
2: extra. So another thing that actually, uh, again, was kind of, <laughs> we're going to keep getting back to this because this is the reason why we, you know, did this, are doing this podcast is that the connections, right? They talked about their informal network that they had because, because I think you asked the question is like, what resources did, did, um, did they utilize or what kind of resources that, you know, networks or whatever. And they almost said like their informal network, right? Like the people that are just in arms, like, like, you know, away kind of a thing. I mean Vishal. I I swear to God, if we're if we keep on getting Vishal's name like popped up, it's been like two episodes. I mean, granted, two episodes in the sense of us getting connected, Mike, and then uh and then apparently they Vishal kind of uh, made a couple connections for Ethan and Max. So it's it's I think again, it's not necessarily the formal networks. It's also the informal because again, I, I think there are going to be some times where again family and friends you're talking to them i mean you're always talking to your family and friends about stuff but there's going to be that one family member one friend that says oh actually i do have a connection to this person or that person and you know i'll make that introduction so
1: well the in, i mean the, the solution here is reach out right yeah. we have a fairly tight knit entrepreneur community and it, it always seems to me it's not 7 degrees of separation it's like 3 degrees of separation yeah. here And if you want to meet someone, go to one of these places, go to a happy life, go to the Grove, go to Stanford Eye Center, Innovation Center. uh... (laughs) You need some glasses or what? Well, you know, I I know they used to shorten it, Eye Center for short, and I know what it means, but then it, yeah, it it sounds awful. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, so then the uh, Reset um, or or any of the places like that, you you know, meet other people in the community and, and there are plenty of resources out there for you. Uh, And. It, it may not seem you know again it may not seem obvious in the state of Connecticut but it's out there there's people out there waiting to help so i think uh i think we're going to wrap this one up james that was a great interview thanks for bringing that to us
3: oh, those those guys were uh you know great great uh interviewees is that the word? Yes it is. That's the word.
2: And I and I think uh we're gonna have to do an update on to whether we end up in that twenty percent that actually gets out of these rooms. So
0: if you never hear from us, it means we never got out of them. Yeah, the room. And, if you, right. and if you and if you don't have another <laughs> podcast,
2: we just couldn't work together in that room. It <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like it was a great interview, but it also ended the CT Startup
0: podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, see you later.
0: Bye.
2: You've just
3: listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Rupart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Evan Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Mertha Kalina LLP.